And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. Hello everyone and welcome to Earth Destruction Directive. I am your host as always, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. I'd like to thank everyone for downloading and listening to the show today. Hope everyone enjoyed our last episode where we took a look at the second of the Godzilla anime films, Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle. And uh, we're changing direction a little bit here today. Now originally I had said that we were going to be discussing the uh, classic oddball Daikaiju film, The Extra Matter Space, in this episode. Uh, but unfortunately, my guest and I were unable to schedule recording time. So I'm going to call an audible here, and instead, we're going to be taking a look at a monster comic book. Specifically, Boom Studios' Kong of Skull Island 2018 special, featuring a, uh, a little Kong microverse completely separate from the monsterverse and every other uh, Kong universe you can think of. Uh, but, uh, before we cover that comic, let's get right into the news, and we do have a few items, so, uh, let's go ahead and get into it. In Ultraman news, Mill Creek has officially announced their DVD release for Ultraman Dina. Hat tip to Chuck Rodriguez for passing along the drop info on Facebook. This is the second Heisei Ultra series, and Dina follows on after the previously announced Tiga set. As of recording, Tiga is just about to hit the street. This follows on from Mill Creek's previous announcement that they were looking to get Tiga, Dina, and Gaia all out in calendar year 2021. So we'll see uh, with Tiga in October, Dinah for November, if uh, Gaia will come out in December. The street date for Ultraman Dinah is November 16th. The pre-order is up right now on Amazon, so go check that out. Now this is a DVD-only release. There's no Blu-ray and there is no digital codes. As a few weeks back, Mill Creek announced that they have decided to change up their movie spree service. Now, the app, at least for Android, is no longer supported as of October 1st, although with my testing, the content will still play. It'll still stream all of your stuff. Uh, all your movie spree content, it's still available. However, you have to go through the website if, uh, or if the app doesn't work for you. Um, you know, you could never download, you could only ever stream. So that seems to still be working as of recording, at least on Android. I don't know how long that's going to last. Uh, now per, uh, per Mill Creek, the digital codes for any previously purchased items, those will still work, but the store on Movie Spree is closed, meaning no new purchases. And I have to admit, I never use Movie Spree all that much. I did like having the option to stream, uh, Ultra on my phone. That was very convenient. I am disappointed that it will no longer be supported. And that said, at least the website is not going anywhere for the time being, so I still have access to all of that Ultra material remotely, if nothing else. In gaming news, announcements have been all over Facebook that Monster Apocalypse will be bringing out a big box Kickstarter this fall. Monster Apocalypse is a miniatures-based Daikaiju game where players take control of both giant monsters or machines along with smaller support units and battle for supremacy while naturally leveling a city. 
Monsterpocalypse, or Monpoc as it's commonly referred to by fans, has actually gone through a couple of different eras in its existence. Now, the game started out, and this is what I remember best, as a collectible miniatures game, where you would blind buy your pieces to build your force. Now, this gave rise to a whole lot of trading and especially reselling, as models were a lot more expensive than, say, trading cards for a collectible card game like Magic the Gathering. So, if you blind buy a model and you get something you can't use, you're going to be reselling that or trading that to somebody who can use it. Now, eventually, Monpok moved to a non-collectible format, but at the same time, they also changed the models around somewhat. I think they took them off of bases meaning that the collectible pieces were not really compatible with the new version. That was kind of where I tapped out, because I had spent a little bit of money getting a, an army, and a monster army together for the collectible version, and then the non-collectible version was different, and then didn't even support the uh, monster army that I had, which was the Tritons. They were one of the second wave, and so they didn't really support them. So that was kind of where I got out. But this Kickstarter looks to be a, a one-stop shop sort of situation with everything you need to get into the game in one, as I said, big box. Now, no information on what specifically is included yet, uh, since as of recording, the campaign is not actually launched, but it's coming this fall. So keep your eyes peeled for that if you're interested at all in a little monster apocalypse action. Finally, in mass destruction news, the classic Toho disaster film Submersion of Japan has been restored to 4K and will debut in a 2K downscale of that 4K on Japanese TV this November. Now, unfortunately, no information on home video dates either in Japan or the United States. But Submersion of Japan is a film I have long wanted to see get an official release here in the West. And a 4K Blu-ray would obviously be, you know, the best potential situation for that. Hopefully more news on this in the very near future. Uh, I, don't ha I haven't heard anything, but hopefully we'll hear something. Hat tip to my brother Jason for passing this one along after the news was broken by August Ragone. Do you have any news that fits what we talk about here in Earth Destruction Directive? Go ahead and send it to me, earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. We will talk about it, and I will give you a shout-out here on the show. All right, uh, um, that's all the news I've got, so we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Kong of Skull Island 2018 special here on Earth Destruction Directive. Give a nod to distant future Somewhere on Monster Isle The evil board of directors Was hatching a plan most vile M.I.F.E.'s host was a guy named Nate Whose noble antics made the board irate Decided it a fathom with a cheerful face. This violated his contracts, only shot him into space. They'll send him a cheesy movie, goofy Star Wars ripoff from Toho. They'll have to sit and watch it all if he wants to get back home. Now keep in mind they can't control whether he can make it to the end. So we'll have to watch. The whole darn thing with a couple of his G fan friends. Podcast roll call Nathan, Luke, The Matters, Jimmy! If you're worried about CD letters and other legal facts, just repeat to yourself it's under fair use. I really just relax. Both 
All right, we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive. Kong of Skull Island 2018 Special was released to comic shops on May 30th, 2018, published by Boom Studios. Our writer is Paul Allor. Now, lately, uh, I've seen this name. He is one of the writers on the current IDW Godzilla Rivals series. He also wrote the uh, original graphic novel Power Rangers The Psychopath. He also has credits on G.I. Joe and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The artist is by Carlos Magno, who, he actually did the art on the Kong of Skull Island ongoing, but he also has credits on titles as varied as The Phantom, Green Lantern Corps, and Cyborg from DC Comics, and a book called Zombie Tales. Our colors are by Marcella Costa, who worked also on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and also on series for Firefly, and even, uh, I believe a creator-owned book called Radiant Black. And then the letters are by Ed Dukeshire, and he also is known for his work on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, along with the series Hexed and Irredeemable. Our cover is by Dan McDade, and uh, most free for Dan McDade, I found a lot of Doctor Who comics, a whole lot of Doctor Who comics. He's based in the UK. Also did Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. He did Sea Dogs for DC. I think that was part of that um, young, I think, was that, that wasn't Young Animal. That was another a little imprint that did the sea dogs. Our cover shows uh, our titular Kong of Skull Island, and in front of him is a, a Viking warrior woman who we will get to know uh, as Gudrun in the story. Very nice, very striking cover. There was also a, uh, a variant, but the one I have is the regular cover. So I'm going to run through our synopsis, which comes from Wikizilla, which is a, a wonderful reference site for giant monster information, and our story goes like this. The story is recounted as a letter, written by a man named Dagger, to Gudrun, the wife of a Viking expedition leader to Andalatland, translating from Icelandic as Country of Death. When Gudrun's first party first set foot on Andatland, they were attacked by quadrupedal reptile monsters. Gudrun's husband was killed in the fight, and she fought bravely to protect the lives of her men, but the struggle attracted the attention of a Kong. The Kong picked her up, and she stabbed its thumb to free herself. Dagger reflects that he has come to hate her uncanny ability to survive such situations. The warriors fled to their ship to return home, observed by the island's natives. Three years later, Gudrun returned with new warriors and more supplies, including Dagger. While setting up their camp, they were attacked by much larger reptilian quadruped than before. However, they had prepared a massive spear nicknamed the Big Girl for this situation. Gudrun and another Viking shoved the weapon through the beast's lower jaw and out to the top of its head, killing it. With the beast dead, the Vikings heard another approaching, but it turned out to be the Kong. Gudrun turned it away, and the Vikings' looting efforts of the island began. Dagger reflects that these early successes made Gudrun overconfident and started chipping away at her humanity. Over the years, they sent their goods home and received new men and new supplies, and even established trade with the natives. The native leader warned Gudrun that her dependence on the Kong would lead to ruin, as it always had in the past, and suggested she seek a balance in her presence. Gudrun, however, was intent on conquering the island and grew even closer to her Kong. Dagger writes that while she was concerned with conquering and balance, the rest of the men only wanted to get rich and return home. However, they stayed on the island, thoroughly out of their element. On a mission into the heart of Antlatland, the big quadruped reptiles attacked again. However, when her men needed her, Gudrun chose to help the Kong instead. Leaving it to fend off the reptiles, 
she gave the order to retreat. Back at their home base, Dagger confronted Gudrun, accusing her of favoring the beast over her own men. Gudrun laughed at this, claiming that she controlled the Kong as a weapon through her feigned affections, and that she chose it over the men because it was too valuable of a resource. She then ordered the troops on another, even deeper expedition in the morning. Dagger then began writing the letter as part of his plan to trap and kill her Kong, leaving it, the letter, as an explanation of his actions in case she survived. In the jungles the next day, Dagger attacks Gudrun with an axe, and other Vikings restrain her as her screams draw out the Kong. The Vikings attack the Kong with arrows, one of which strikes it right in its eye, before others try to hold it down with grappling hooks. Dagger's letter notes that the Kong's fur will clothe their village for decades, and if they fail, they will still find their time on the island at an end. Gudrun breaks free and is quickly recaptured, and claims that she will not die on the island because her Kong is winning. Seeing that she is correct, Dagger takes the task upon himself, uses a grappling hook to climb up its body, and strike the Kong repeatedly with his axe until it fell down. Gudrun runs away, and Dagger orders two men after her as he prepares to cut off the Kong's arm to make it small enough to take home. Carting the giant paw back to the beach, the party cannot find either of the warriors they sent after Gudrun. However, they then find the warriors' heads on spears and their two ships on fire out in the bay. While the others are baffled by Gudrun's behavior, Dagger understands that it was a trap with the heads as bait. He stands perfectly still as the reptiles and even pteranodons swarm on them. Gudrun returned to her Kong, who was still alive despite everything. Over time, they stay together, and Gudrun stays in contact with the natives until she dies an old woman in the remaining hand of her Kong. So as I said at the top of the episode, this comic was not originally on the schedule for this month, but when I had to juggle the schedule around a little bit, this one percolated up to the top, because we are, as uh, we are recording this, in the month of October. Now, if you follow me or some of my comic book fan colleagues on Twitter, you know that over the last few years, we've been kind of carving out monthly niches for different genre comics. Now, this started with my hashtag War Comics Month campaign, which runs every November, and it's slowly grown and expanded. Now, one of the earliest and most obvious additions was reading horror, mystery, and, yes, even monster comics in the month of October, home to all things spooky here in the uh, United States, anyway. So please consider this episode part of Hashtag Horror Comics Month. And even though we tend to not always think of giant monsters as horror per se, traditionally speaking, monsters were just as much a part of that scene as any other generic content, especially at publishers such as the pre-Marvel Atlas, which made quite a name for itself for publishing giant monster comics. Plus, as we saw in the synopsis, and I will detail in the notes, this comic <laughs> it has more than its fair share of gruesome and horrific moments, so as far as I am concerned, it fits the niche nicely. Now, this comic is part of the Kong of Skull Island property, which is owned by the outfit called DeVito Artworks. This brand owes itself to the 2005 rewrite of Miriam C. Cooper's original novelization, and is, as such, endorsed by the Cooper estate. Beginning with that book, which was called Miriam C. Cooper's King Kong, released in 2005, written by Brad Strickland and Joe DeVito, what we might call a microverse was created. A very small, interconnected universe of Kong and Kong-related material under that Kong of Skull Island umbrella. 
Now, there are five books that were written, including that first one. And in addition to those books, there were several comic releases as well. There was a 12-issue series, Kong of Skull Island, which addressed the ancient history of Skull Island and the native tribes which inhabit it, which was followed by the one-shot Gods of Skull Island, which will be featured on this show at some point as well. Now, as of recording, this property is actually still around. Their website is hyping a Kickstarter for trading cards and comics coming sometime in October 2021. I know you're saying, but Luke, as you're recording this, it's October 2021. And yes, I agree. So I thought that was really amusing that as I was doing it, they're hyping a Kickstarter. It hasn't apparently launched yet, but hopefully we'll hear some more and I'll keep you guys updated as we find out more about it. And we chose this issue in particular because it is a standalone, what we call a done-in-one comic. Now, I don't have any issue with ongoing sagas, and we have covered a few of them here on Earth Destruction Directive, but for the purposes of this episode, I wanted to cover a complete story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. One of the strengths of a comic book format is the ability to tell stories of differing lengths, and here, our story is very well served as a 40-page one-shot. Could this story have been expanded out to four issues as a miniseries? Probably. But for my money, it works better at this length, and would have likely felt more padded had it gone beyond that page count. We would have gotten more, perhaps we would have gotten more characterization, but I like the way that we get here, where we don't get a ton of characterization because of how the story is um, is structured, where we're learning about Gudrun from Dagger's perspective, but then we're also seeing the actions at the same time. Now, what I think is one of the strengths of this brand, the Kong of Skull Island brand, which extends into this particular comic story, is the use of Skull Island as a setting. You know, there was a fair amount of online chatter over this past summer about that unrealized Skull Island film, which which was supposed to spin out of Stephen Summers' Deep Rising. Uh, Now, my understanding was that was supposed to use the island, even though Kong himself did not figure into Deep Rising at all, which was about a giant octopus monster. The timeless nature of Skull Island, as established in the book and the earlier comics, it makes it perfect for this sort of story, which is chronologically very far away from any other, you know, what we would call an established Kong story. Even better, personally speaking, there's nothing in this comic which specifically contradicts anything which has been established in either the MonsterVerse or really any other Kong universe, whatever you want to consider. Here, the Vikings have already landed on the island at the on the first page. It's not a stretch to assume that there is a part of this journey which we did not see, where they had to sail through the standing storm system or the big fog bank to reach the shore. Or later, when we see Gundan establishing trade with the locals, we can easily enough hand wave that to be the native people that we see in Kong Skull Island or Godzilla vs. Kong or any of the other uh, you know King Kong films. This works in this comic's favor for me, because while I know, intellectually, this is not part of the MonsterVerse, for example, I can easily accept it as such if I so choose. The events here do not impact Kong Skull Island, Godzilla vs. Kong, or anything else, and instead continue to build up Skull Island as a broad, fascinating, and deadly locale, a great place to set stories. So I am all in favor of these, you know, what we might call an untold tale of Skull Island. Getting into some specific panels and pages. Pages 2 and 3, right after the Vikings land, monsters attack immediately, as one would hope in a comic book set on Skull Island. The giant reptiles look vaguely like chameleons, their eyes are extended and articulated. I thought that was a neat touch. They don't don't have the curled tails 
like chameleons, and they certainly move much faster than chameleons do. Uh, but right here at the start of the book, we got men being chomped, blood and gore right off the bat. So you, that's why I said you, you know there is some horror elements here. And this leads us right into pages 4 and 5, which is a splash page, uh, first appearance of the Kong, as he grabs Gudrun, saving her from the reptiles, and at the same time scaring the reptiles off. Now, the way that this is laid out, we have a, a two-page large panel across the top, and then smaller panels beneath. Now, the two-page panel shows the scale of the Kong and Gudrun really well. Gudrun, excuse me, Gudrun plainly being in Kong's hand right in the foreground. And, um, you know, we do talk about scale here on Earth Destruction Directive when we talk about comic books. So, good to see that right up front. The colors are really nice here as well. We've got the black-furred Kong contrasted against the gleaming yellow of the sunlight over the mountains behind him. Very, very nice uh, use of color in this book. Now, one point worth noting is that based on the earlier series, that ongoing Kong of Skull Island that I mentioned, the native people of Skull Island, who are referred to as a Tagatu, they bred giant Kongs. So there is more than one of them, similar to how Kong is part of a species in the MonsterVerse. So while this is a Kong, and the only Kong we encounter in this story, we do not have any indication that it is the only Kong on the island. It is only, quote, her Kong. Turning over to page 8, more wonderful colors showing the sunrise over the sea. The digital pop of the golds against the murky, dark blues of the water. It's really nice, really eye-catching. It's panels like this which remind you that colors play such an important role in comic storytelling. And I'm not taking anything away from black and white comics, but when you're producing color comics, color often gets overlooked as an important storytelling element, but it really does uh, play in nicely in scenes like this. Over on pages 10 and 11, we get another two-page splash with that uh, double panel across the top. Uh, this layout gets used several times, as we'll see. I liked this splash uh, for the giant lizard attacking Gudrun and her men. Uh, the big reptiles in this story, they remind me of movies like 100 Million B.C., and Erwin Allen's The Lost World, where we had iguanas and other lizards with frills glued onto them. That's kind of what they look like. Uh, I can only assume that that is... Uh, an intentional design choice, you know, that being such a, a common, uh, uh, you know, a technique in older American films to use those live lizards like that. So I can only assume that, that we're doing it uh, intentionally. I will say that using it in a comic book, to me, I have no real problem with because there's no ethical concern. I can draw big lizards to look like big, well, I mean, I could if I, if I was an artist. You can draw um, big reptiles to look like regular reptiles scaled up, and there's no question of it's a cruelty to animals because it's all just ink and paint, right? <laughs> now, this sequence leads directly to page 12, and uh, as a panel on the bottom, the results of the big girl gruesomely rendered here with the spear... Uh, piercing through both the lower and upper jaw of the reptile, getting back to what I said, some more gore and horror imagery in our monster comic book. On uh, page 14, panel 2, we see a panel where Kong is assisting the Vikings in battling a flock of pteranodons. Now, as a big fan of pteranodons, since I was a very little kid, I wish this panel was larger. I really do. Now, the pteranodons will pop up later, at least, so we do get a little bit more, but man, I do love me some pteranodons. That's why I was such a big Rodan fan as a kid. That's a shoot, by the way. Now, page 15, the native woman tells Gudrun that the Kongs have a way of dividing people and bringing out hidden conflicts and old resentments. Now, as a longtime comic book reader, I can't imagine that coming back into play at all. Nope. Can't imagine it. Moving on. 
Page 17, another attack by the giant reptiles, and again, more gore as the Vikings fight back. Panel 4 at the bottom of the page is quite nice. We have one of the reptiles lunging over its fallen cohort towards the wounded, spear-wielding Viking men. It's really dynamic. It's got a great sense of motion of the lizard leaping towards the front of, uh, towards us, the reader, essentially, but leaping towards the foreground. Now, this leads into page 18, which is Kong versus the reptiles, including uh, panel 3, where we have a reptile chomping down on Kong's neck. Very, very brutal-looking scene here. Now, this reptile, I must say, it has a row of spines straight down the center of its back, and it's a quadruped. It does look tangentially like Barrigan from Gamera vs. Barrigan, a.k.a. War of the Monsters, but that may just be me. Your mileage may vary on that reference. Page 20, we get a hero shot of Gudrun and Kong after she helps Kong defeat the reptile. Would make a great poster, if you had to make a poster for this uh, for this comic, that would be the one to pick. And actually, it's very similar in composition to the cover, so you kind of wonder if perhaps this was a original sketch or thumbnail for the cover, and it got re, you know, recycled into an interior page, or perhaps they liked this page and said, why don't we do something similar for the cover? Very nice page here. Page 26, panel 5, the Vikings, led by Dagger, turn on Kong. Kong is shot in the eyeball with an arrow, as we said in the synopsis. Yee, ouch. Mm. Uh, hey, King Kong comic book, Lucio Fulci called. He wants his gag back. I'm just saying. <laughs> Shout out to the Vault of Startling Monster or Tales of Terror for that one. Uh, page 27, panel 4. I really dig this shot as Kong whips the Vikings around. The Vikings having snared him with ropes and grappling hooks, attempting to climb him and pull him down. You know, maybe I am just a, a modern man, but climbing a giant ape after you shoot him with a bunch of arrows seems like a poor choice to me. But you know what? Who am I to judge? Pages 31 and 32, we get another two-page splash with a large panel up top. I did have a somewhat hard time swallowing the sequence originally that Dagger was able to seemingly kill Kong with an axe by climbing up him. So I, I was like, really? I'm not really sure about that. Now, of course, that ends up not being the case. The Kong survives this attack. He's just wounded and hurt by this. So as a fake out in the story, I'm okay with this choice. And the art is still very nice indeed. Page 34, first panel, uh, we see the cart full of Kong's fur and being dragged behind it is the stripped bone of his arm. Now, this is a crucial detail to this story, which is only conveyed in the artwork, rather than spelled out in a caption box or dialogue. Now, many years ago, I read a great interview with comics artist Clayton Crane, who I mostly know from his work on the modern Valiant stuff. And in that interview, Crane talked about the importance of what he called reading the art in comics. And this, I feel, is a really good example of that. If you don't, you know, read the art... You can potentially miss this entire beat that they chopped Kong's arm off and have stripped the fur off of it. You get the idea that they're going to keep doing this and just take as much of him as they can because he's too big to transport on their own, which is kind of a, a gruesome approach to, to uh, you know, a living thing. But you know, these Vikings clearly don't care at this point. Page 35, another full page splash showing the ships ablaze. Once more, the coloring here is Absolutely gorgeous, I must admit. The flames blazing a bright yellow and white, the colored smoke mixing in with the clouds. Colorist Marcelo Costa knocking it out of the park this comic. I mean, I really do like the colors in this book. I, I mean, I, I, we used to talk about that in like Shogun Warriors that we'd get 
some really good comics. Like Carl Gafford was a colorist for most of that series. And it's kind of the same idea here. I really just want to give a shout out to them because colorists sometimes, you know, like letterers, you know, you only notice a lot of times you only get called out if it's something you don't like. So I prefer to call it things I do like, right? Pages 37, 38, the final two page splash again with panels across the bottom. Uh, the top wide panel shows the reptiles and pteranodons on the charge. It's one of those classic, oh my damn moments. You can very easily visualize how this would look in a film, you know, in widescreen and emotion. But to me, it works incredibly well as a comics page. It does really, really uh, something showing all these monsters charging at the Vikings as Gudrun's final plan comes to fruition. The final page of the comic, it's another full page splash with an inset panel showing both Kong and Gudrun at, I would assume, the end of their lives, all the damage done. Kong is missing his right eye. Uh, obviously from when he was shot in it, I would assume, and his right arm is cut off right by the elbow. He is definitely the worst for wear. Gudrun, I mean, she appears as an old woman, basically. It's it's hard to get a, a good gauge on her age because she's still wearing her armor, but she's got long gray hair at this point, and clearly she has also uh, had a few miles on her. Now, for me, this is both a happy and a sad ending. Now, yes, Gudrun and Kong, ostensibly our heroes, they managed to survive this story and go out on their own terms. But I have to ask, what was the personal cost to each of them? Given the conflict in the story, I'm very happy with the ambiguity of this ending. If it had been that Gudrun died and, you know, Kong died or whatever, but like, okay, well, that was kind of a downbeat. But so I like the kind of ambiguous approach that we get here. Overall, Kong of Skull Island, the 2018 special, it's a good read. A nice oversized monster comic book. I always appreciate a good done-in-one comic, and it uses the setting of Skull Island really well as a backdrop for the type of story which has not really been told in the Kong mythos previously, at least not in this era. By that I mean, you know, setting it in this era with the Vikings and that time frame. The art is clean, very easy to follow. The story's action-packed and well-paced. I also really like that instead of just Kong fighting monsters, which would have been fine, the human story, including the conflict between Gudrun and Dagger, it's giving good attention, fulfilling that foreshadowing given by the native woman. Now, instead of trying to make a movie out of a comic book, which we get all too often nowadays, this story, it's, it's a comic book story, without the need to make, you know, connective tissue to the larger expanded universe. This one seems happy to tell its own story. King Kong fans and fans of fantastical islands filled with horrible monsters will definitely appreciate this comic, and I think should check it out. Now, if you want to read Kong of Skull Island 2018 special, your best bet is to check it out on Hoopla. Hoopla, of course, is the free service that is uh, may or may not be provided by your local library. So if you download uh, Hoopla, the Hoopla app, or go to the Hoopla website, you can see if your local library supports it. Uh, the issue itself, it's not available in any collection, any physical collection. I can't find it on any paid digital format such as Comixology or Amazon. Um, now, a lot of these Kong of Skull Island comics, they're very hard to come by to own. Uh, but Hoopla seems to have a really good selection for your reading enjoyment. They have the the special. They have all three volumes of the 12-issue ongoing. I believe they have Gods of Skull Island as well, and they have uh, at least at least a couple of the books as audiobooks as well. So if you want to check that out, go to Hoopla, and hopefully your local library will, uh, will support that, and you can check them out there. So what do you think, folks? Have you all read Kong of Skull Island, any of the comics, uh, the 2018 special, or any of the other ones? Have you read any of the Kong of Skull Island uh, books or other media? I'd love to hear from you. Send it in, earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. We can talk about it here on the show. 
All right. I'm going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to get into uh, our listener feedback and close out the show here on Earth Destruction Directive. Greetings, podcast listener. Do you like... Or maybe... Dragon Flame! How about... Or... In the year 1999, an abandoned alien battle fortress crash-landed on the planet Earth. Our most brilliant scientists and engineers spent the next 10 years reconstructing the damaged ship and studying its highly advanced space technology called Robotech. Do you remember... Our Star Blazers! Or this... The year is after Colony 195. As the world constantly changes in the chaotic era, there are two mobile suits that could turn humans into the ultimate weapon. The Wing Zero and the Epion. Or maybe even this. After the desire for blood rules all, the only hope left is the one they call D. Or this. Gene, grappler ships dead ahead! It wouldn't be fun otherwise. Let's do it! Or... If Cardus is allowed to be reborn, she'll destroy Marmo as well as Lodos. Or have you seen the latest episode of... And just like that, everything changed. At that terrible moment, in our hearts, we knew... Home was a pen. Humanity, cattle. If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out Anime Freaks, hosted by Dr. Bill Robinson and me, Gene Hendricks. Anime Freaks is a monthly podcast covering all things anime. It is available at 2TrueFreaks.com and on iTunes under 2TrueFreaks Presents Anime Freaks. All right, we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive. And it's time for a little bit of listener feedback. If you would like to get in touch with the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. You can also reach me on Facebook and Twitter and just listen to the outro to the show and you will hear all the ways you can get in touch. So let's get right into it. Our first email comes from Loyal Listener Rich and he writes in with the subject Godzilla versus Megalon. Rich writes, Dear Mr. Giaconetti, when I heard you say you were going to be covering this movie, I had to give a huge yes in my car driving home from work. I have said in an earlier email that this movie holds a very special place for me because my dad took me to see it as a child at the theater. That is so cool. I'm glad you have a memory like that, Rich. I really am. Uh, Rich continues, so I've watched it numerous times, bought the DVD when I saw it at a secondhand shop. I can honestly say it just doesn't get old. Perhaps it's the nostalgia of it, but whatever it is, after all these years, I still enjoy it as much as I did in that first time I saw it. It does stick with you, doesn't it? Especially when you see it as a kid, because I first saw Godzilla vs. Megalon as a kid. It wasn't in the theater, it was at home. But it always does kind of stick with you. It's, it is very much a kid-like sort of movie, isn't it? And so, that nostalgia uh, factor, I, I don't think you can overstate that, Rich. I think you hit it right on the head. Uh, Rich continues, that being said, it's not as crazy as watching Godzilla and Hedra, but it comes pretty close. If I remember it right, I don't think they were going to kill Goro and his brother, but we're going to drop them into the opening to Seatopia. Hmm, that's kind of an interesting take. That's sort of like a Gamera sort of thing, right? Where the, uh, the invaders take the hero hostage and the hero, one of the heroes being a kid? I could see that. I mean, 
Again, the film's pretty childlike to begin with. Why not? Uh, Rich continues. And I also wondered about the relationship of Goro and his, quote, friend. Nothing wrong with it. Just asking the question. Am I right? <laughs> I love the coverage you and Joe did for this movie. Another fine episode. As always, keep them stomping. Rich. Well, Rich, thank you very much for writing in. I do really appreciate that. I'm glad you liked the episode and that we lived up to your uh, your nostalgic memories of Godzilla vs. Megalon. I had a lot of fun recording that one with Joe. I think that episode came out real well and was, in fact, a lot of fun. Uh, now, I also heard from my good friend, Professor Allen, uh, who reached out to me about Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle via Messenger. And Professor Allen said, uh, I am not the Godzilla expert you are, but I have enjoyed both of these anime films. I'm saving them up to watch them when you cover them. Your episodes help me catch things that get by me. I miss the part about the twins, for example. Glad you pointed out that reference, which I now remember from your past episodes. Well, thank you, Alan. I'm glad that I'm uh, that I'm helping you out here, you know? Uh, some things that I think as Daikaiju fans we take for granted, uh, less involved fans, you know, don't necessarily recall that. So I, I try to, you know... I try to, you know, keep that in mind and not just speak entirely in Inside Baseball. Alan also added that he does not have much feedback because he does not have much context with these films. So much of, you know, I think my commentary on City on the Edge of, City on the Edge of Battle, City on the Edge of Battle, excuse me, was referential and contextual, so I can understand where Alan's coming from. But I appreciate your, your reaching out, Alan, and, and I'm glad you enjoyed the episode, and, and I hope that uh, when we cover the third one that we can discuss it further. Um, now, as far as social media, likes, shares, retweets, all that good stuff for our last episode came from Max Reed's Comics, The Weird Warrior Podcast, Real Human Bean Hours, The Drift Space Podcast, G-Man, Jimmy from NASA, and Nathan Marchand. Together, they are the Monster Island Film Vault, Steve Grez, Caron Caron, Two True Freaks, Spider Godzilla, Mark Radtastic, Jack J., Crystal Lady Jessica, Mr. Lomax, Robert Ludwig, Derek W. Crab, Derek W.C., The Fan Holes Podcast, Chuck Rodriguez, John Vanover, Robert Ludwig, Gene Gene, The Podcasting Machine, Hendrix, Brian Severe, my brother Jason Giaconetti, and my good friend Adam Tebow. Thank you very much, everyone, for your social media love. As I said many times, helps get the word out about the show, and it is greatly appreciated. And I would also like to take this opportunity to remind everyone that Earth Destruction Directive is for everyone. If you are interested in Japanese giant monsters even a little bit, if there's any part of that uh, scene that makes you happy and brings you joy, you are welcome to interact with this show however you feel comfortable. Uh, all are welcome here at Earth Destruction Directive. And so now we must, as always, look forward to what is coming next. And next time, we are dipping back into the Godzilla series and back into the Showa era, for that fact. And we're taking a look at Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 1974. Now, I know what you longtime fans are saying. Hey, Luke, didn't you cover this all the way back in Episode 6? And the answer is... Yes, I did. But we're going to be taking a look at it again, because we've done all the other Showa films. I, I, back then, I wasn't doing them in order, and I kind of messed it up a little bit. 
not doing them in order, and I kind of have revisited that idea. So I want to revisit Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 74, first appearance of uh, extremely popular and enduring Godzilla foe, Mechagodzilla. I'm going to have a guest. I'm not going to tell you who it is just yet, but I do plan on having a guest. So please come back and check that out. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. I'd love to hear what you guys think about uh, Kong of Skull Island, the 2018 special. What do you think about Kong of Skull Island, that little uh, property in general? Any comments, any thoughts or feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Earth Destruction Directive at Yahoo.com. Remember, you can also find the show on YouTube. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive, and it'll pop up there. And uh, I hope everyone will join us next time we take a look once again at Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 74. And until then, keep them stomping. This has been Earth Destruction Directive, a Daikaiju podcast, produced and created by me, Luke Giaconetti, as part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, available at twotruefreaks.com. This is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of Japanese giant monsters. All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you would like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I try to respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I will read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find the show on your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive. You can even leave a review on your podcatcher of choice if you'd like. You can find me on Facebook. Just search for first name Luke, last name EDD. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter. Just search for the handle at LJacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. The theme song for this podcast is Future Gladiator by Kevin McLeod, downloaded from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun here on Earth Destruction Directive. Tune in next time to hear the crusty old podcaster from Oklahoma say, There's a WTF <laughs> moment if I ever saw one. <laughs>